Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. I'm Richard Afton, and my guest today is Luis Fernandez. Uh, Luis is a former officer, an army ranger. He uh, now teaches organizations to implement servant leadership. Luis, welcome to the show. Thank you, Richard. I'm here at uh, 4.30 in the morning in beautiful Tucson, Arizona, in my car. This is my, uh, my mobile sound booth by the way, is what this is. Yeah, it's incredibly so, <laughs> good sound. Yeah. <laughs> I get great sound everywhere I go with this guy. So <laughs> this is my right. recording right. studio. Yeah. <laughs> and is it and as a 4.30 start for you, this is this normal? Uh, yeah. So um, I got three little kids. Mine are nine, seven, and five. And uh, everyone has told me how fast they grow up. So I, I took the advice to heart and I try to spend as much time with them as possible in the evening. And uh, I also got really fat when I got out of the army. So <laughs> I, had to, I had to find a spot to fit going to the gym. And uh, yeah, so begrudgingly, I set my alarm for 4 a.m. And uh, just so I can get out there and get some exercise in before I start my day. So. Fantastic. I'm very, very impressed. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, the, definitely the thing that drew me in is, is your background here. So maybe we should dive into that a little bit. Army Ranger, what does that mean for people uh, who are not familiar with the military? And yeah, where, where did that begin for you, the life in the Army? Yeah. Um, so I was in college on September 11th, and um, I almost dropped out of college and joined the military. And, you know, pretty much everybody that was close to me told me not to. And uh, there was a lot of people in my life that, that kind of made that difference. And then, and then my grandfather, he's, uh, he's a refugee from Cuba. Um, and uh, came to the U.S. Uh, he was in his 30s, had four kids, um, you know, basically just the bag that they were allowed to bring and, uh, and kind of made a lot of sacrifices, worked three jobs and, and, and created a life. So he called me and told me the story again. And, and you know, by that point, I've heard the story a few times, right? But it's grandpa's, you know, let's talk. And, uh, and he finished the story and he goes, you know, you owe me. Like that was because uh, I went through this, and uh, and you're gonna finish college, and then you can go do the army thing. I was like, okay, all right, you're right, fine, I owe you. Uh, so, um, but uh, I had these. I was a 19 year old kid. I had these kind of visions of being the guy who catches Bin Laden, and I wanted to be an airborne ranger and and and, and you know do that. And um, uh, I'm also afraid of heights, so you know that means you got to jump out of airplanes. Um, and, uh, that was hard and the hardest day for me in ranger school, it's a, if you do, if you're good, you can get to ranger school in like 67 days. That's, so it's about two months. Um, if you're like me and, and you talk a lot of trash, you got a big mouth and, and you make stupid mistakes, it could take you a little bit longer. And, uh, so I had to, uh, I had to redo the second, there's three phases. I had to redo the second phase. So it took me close to 90 days to get out of ranger school and graduate. Um, and then I went to the 82nd Airborne Division and uh, was an officer there, went to Afghanistan, um, pretty interesting deployment, um, went to Iraq with them as well and did some kind of weapons mass destruction stuff. So um, yeah, it was, uh, it, was a, it was a heck of an experience and you know, um, it was good that I was single. <laughs> 
Right. Okay. Well, there's a lot in what you just said there. So yeah, just yeah. take me to the to the ninety days. So what was it? What was it? Your mouth? You got you got in trouble with the officers yeah. there? Or? <laughs> yeah. So uh, um, uh, I got in trouble in there's so there's three phases in ranger school and and they're each you know 10 15 days or so and i got in trouble every single one and uh yeah it just one thing or another it, it was different stuff but uh you know my, the one that cost me um you know an extra 30 days was uh it was just kind of an accident i um you you you're sleep deprived and you're food deprived and you're just put in this kind of state of you're 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 in your worst mental state right and your worst physical state um i went in uh to ranger school I probably weighed about 190 i came out at 160 pounds um they feed you once a day you know and and then and you sleep three or four hours and, and it's usually broken up and you know the better you are the more sleep you get and the more food you get you know so i didn't get much sleep or food um and uh I, you have to tie everything down and, um, I gave some stuff to a guy to have him, you got to tie everything to yourself. You fall asleep standing up and walking around. And so if it's not tied to you, you'll lose it. And, uh, and he didn't tie it down and, and it was sitting there on the floor and I kind of looked over and the instructor was yelling and, and they play these mental games, man. And that was probably the worst part of all of it was just, they get in your head and they, and, uh, yeah, so they were like, oh, what's this right here? All oh, rangers, we just leaving everything all over the woods, you know, like, and uh, and I had to take responsibility for it. So I, I got, I had a, I had already racked up a few of these spot reports, you know, it's like negative spot report, like he did something wrong. And uh, I already had a few, but that day I racked up three of them in about five minutes. And, uh, and then I had too many, so I had to go back and redo the phase um, and start over. And so what was it? And was it your stuff on the floor or was it you not picking up this, the stuff of one of your uh, fellow? Yeah, uh, so it it was mine. I gave it to him and I said, hey, you need to give it to somebody else because they change roles every morning. And I guess he wasn't paying attention. He said, yeah, okay. And then sat it down on the ground. And so, oh, okay. You know, there was this pile of stuff just sitting on the ground. Like, like somebody had just decided that I don't want to carry this and just, whoop, you know, like throw it out there. Like, screw it, you know? And, uh, and yeah, and he looked at me and I could tell he wasn't going to take responsibility for it. So I was like, all right, I will, you know, I didn't realize that at that moment, I wasn't like in clear enough thought, which apparently he was to say, I'm not going to take responsibility for this. Uh, but I didn't want everybody to get punished for it and I figured it would happen. So instead I got an extra 30 days in, in ranger school. Right. So, that's actually quite an interesting story because because I suppose my assumption might have been why you didn't get through was because you you didn't you didn't pass some physical test but actually it's mm -hmm. more about your ability to take responsibility it sounds like is am I getting that right or? oh yeah if you want to spin it to make me sound awesome I'm down yeah that works <laughs> no but it's a it's a it's an interesting facet of the training right that we 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 kind of yeah. think of it as this 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 hero's journey and it's all about can you can you can you put make it through the physical workload but yeah sure it's it's it a lot about you know your ability to to stay responsible when you're sleep deprived when you're food deprived yeah and that's exactly it that's that's what makes ranger school really a, it, it's a because it's not 
it's not a short thing. You know, there's, there's, there's short things that are like that, that are just, you know, a physical challenge. And, and the first week of Ranger School is that way. They call it RAP week, Ranger Assessment Preparation Week. And in that first week, there's all just pass fail. You pass or you're done. And we started with over 300 guys in the first morning. And by the end of the first day, we were already down like 75 guys, like already. And by the end of that first week, um, I think we were down, you know, probably a third of the class, if not more, you know. And so it was just pass, you know, pass fail. But where where you really kind of the rubber meets the road is is when you are in that state where you haven't eaten, you haven't slept, and you know you're getting yelled at by somebody. Um, you're trying to make decisions, so you're trying to make decisions because you're running these missions. So you run practice missions like as if you were in combat. So you're trying to run these missions, and you're trying to you know, the enemy's throwing stuff at you. They do this all, all the time. The guys you're fighting against, that's what they do for their for their job in the military is they fight ranger students, you know. So they know the terrain. They know the mistakes people make. They know you're sleep-deprived, you know, and uh, and they're better, you know. Like, they're just, they're physically rested, you know. They're just, they're good. And so you just, everything goes wrong. and And it's at that point that you kind of, like that's where um, you you come away with that feeling of you know if if I can make it through that then when everything goes wrong in combat you know where I'm not going to be as hungry or as sleep deprived I know I can do this because I've already done it before um, and that's where that you know they call it the greatest leadership school I, I'm not I'm not sure about that but I will say that if you make it through that school. Um, you have a certain level of resiliency, um, and, uh, and, and, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of the takeaway, you know, like there's a person that doesn't quit, like you can throw enough at them. They're not going to quit. I met a guy there one time. He had, he had recycled every single phase and he had spent something like six months in ranger school. And I was like, dude, how, why haven't you quit yet? And he goes, well, at this point, you know. I'm going to graduate. Like I've already been here six months, you know? And uh, he's like, I will die before I leave here without my range attack. And, and, and it stuck with me hearing that, uh, you know, that that was that kind of level of commitment uh, and, you know, committing to goals in the same way and everywhere else. Right. So my wife says, I'm, I get too intense when I decide I'm going to do something, you know, and she's like, Oh, you've decided now, like, okay, so now, like, there's no stopping it, it's going to happen, you know, and, and then that's, I guess that's something you, you kind of have, but then it's built in once you know that, you know, I can do this, if I, if I push hard enough, and I stick, if I stick with it, um, you know, you think you have this limit, and then you get there, and you're like, oh, wow, I, I can go further, and then they take you further, and you're like, oh, wow, I can go further, and then they take you further, and you're like, you know what, I don't know how far I can go, I just know it's pretty far. Because I don't really want to go much further to find out, like, you know, like, I'm pretty good right here. Like, I feel like, hey, you know, this is, this is pretty strong. Uh, I'm not going to keep going. But, uh, yeah, so, anyway, I don't know where I was going with that. But, but is that one of the, the biggest things you took out of it was that uh, you're, 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 you're capable of something way beyond what you, you think you're capable of? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 100% for sure. Yeah. I, I realized that, you know, our bodies are incredible machines. And what they're capable of doing is, is well beyond what any of us think. You know, what you think you can do. 
and you know you you and i you have the smart goals in there that, that's something you want to talk about and that's one of the things that bothers me about smart goals right so specific measurable achievable realistic and time-based realistic who knows what's realistic you know that's that's what i learned in ranger school like i had an idea of what was realistic but i was wrong you know i was wrong at what was realistic imagine going back and talking to mark zuckerberg 15 or 20 years ago or whatever and and he tells you oh yeah i'm gonna create this thing it's it's where people can talk to each other and I'm going to be a billion billionaire offer. I'm like, shut up, dude. That's not a realistic goal, right? What? You didn't know that it was a realistic goal, right? You know, or, or, or uh, uh, what is it? The, the Henry Ford quote where he says, uh, if I'd have given my, my customers what they wanted, they would have got a faster horse, right? Try to describe. So people that are actually changing the world and making a difference and, and really achieving some awesome things, they don't bother themselves with what's realistic. You know, they, they set a goal and if it's unrealistic and it's crazy, that's what gets exciting. Like, oh, we can't do that. Okay. I want to do it now because you just said we can't, right? Like that's, yeah, exactly. that's what gets me fired up. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely uh, had that in my life. Some of the biggest motivators have been, uh, but in fact, my, my PE, my physical uh, instruction teacher, we call it PE, physical education teacher at, in high school. Uh, he made a bet that I wouldn't pass my, my, the exams we have when we're 16 over here in the UK. And that was the biggest motivator for me to pass my exam. <laughs> now you're going to ask yourself, did he know that that was going to motivate you? Is that why he said it? Well, who knows? God knows. Yeah. Quite probably, <laughs> but, you know, it worked. <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, the, okay, so, so you, you, get, you get through Ranger School. And, um, again, your first deployment were uh, yeah, so I, I graduated. Uh, I graduated Ranger School in December. I went to Airborne School in January, and then I got to the 82nd Airborne in February and deployed to Afghanistan in March. <clears throat> um, and I was a wow. platoon leader. I had uh, 40 men infantry platoon, um, and we were in East Afghanistan um, in 2005. So. Um, if you've seen the movie Lone Survivor um, or heard of uh, Marcus Luttrell, maybe some of your folks in the audience might, but uh, uh, that was, you know, a similar, I was just south of that and uh, around the same time. So uh, Mark Wahlberg plays a Navy SEAL who uh, they, their team got caught out there um, and uh, pretty much everyone but him died. Uh, and one of the guys won a medal of honor, Lieutenant Michael Murphy. Uh, so it was, uh, it was a tough time. And, you know, and, and, and so Afghanistan in 2005, Eastern Afghanistan, we were right along the Pakistani border. Um, <clears throat> the enemy had figured out our rules of engagement that we weren't allowed to chase him in Pakistan. And, uh, yeah, so they would, I had a guy one time, God, it was the most frustrating day. He uh, he managed to get away. Um, he was he got in this little brief firefight. It, I call it exchange of fire. So there's like a firefight where you're like you're fighting with somebody for like six hours or four hours or even one hour, right? That's a real fight. You're engaged, you're maneuvering, and 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 then there's like the exchange of fire where you catch somebody by surprise, they shoot at you, you shoot back, and you kind of have this quick you know, one or two minute thing. And then one of one, somebody breaks contact and, and that's what he did. He broke contact and ran in Pakistan and he was running for a while and, and we had to stop chasing him. 
And then he stopped and he turned around and looked at us on this mountain and he waved. And oh, man, I was so angry. You know, you know, there was like three of us trying to hit him. You know, and he was he was just too far away. He was like 800 meters away. It was like, man, my rifle just can't quite touch him out there. You know, and uh, uh, yeah, and he knew he was too far away. He was too far small of a target, and he knew we couldn't chase him. So, uh, but yeah, but so coming in from from Pakistan, they'd run missions uh, in Afghanistan, or they'd run supplies and drugs and weapons or the like. And then they'd go back across the border and do their resupply again. Um, and uh, we position ourselves right in kind of the main avenue of, of entry. And um, yeah, so uh, it was it was quite a they didn't like that. So <laughs> they wanted us out of there. <laughs> right, right. And then you're very powerfully write about it, on your blog about the, this uh, this one evening where you think there's rain on the. On the, on the roof of the place you're staying, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, that was uh, December 22nd. Um, so we had already been in, in country, you know, uh, a while. Um, and we had done quite a bit of damage to their ability to maneuver. And, um, you know, it's, it's we're at um, probably six or 7,000 feet. So, I mean, it's cold. There's snow on the ground. Um, it's Christmas time. There's little Christmas decorations everywhere. And uh, by this point, you know, I had gotten more relaxed. I slept in a brown T-shirt and shorts, you know, just kind of comfortable, but I kept everything ready to go. And um, I don't remember what time it was, but it felt like it was like one or two in the morning. I, I was in the deep sleep and we slept in these kind of metal or, or not metal, but uh, concrete buildings. And they had metal roofs. And then in between the metal and the and, and where we slept, they had laid out sandbags um, because you know, we would get, we would get, uh, actually it wasn't bullets usually, it was rockets. So there was a lot of uh, rocket mortar fire. And uh, the door flies open and one of my sergeants came in and, and, and he's, he's yelling, he's like, the base is under attack. And, and he runs to his cot. And, you know, getting up out of the sleep, I'm kind of rubbing the sleep out of my eyes and, and I'm, I'm walking to the door and I'm thinking to myself, you know, there are two thoughts. One is I don't hear the major rocket explosions because usually when a rocket comes in, it, uh, you get, it's an event, you know, and uh, and it sounded like it was raining. And, and I was like, man, it's, it's too cold. Like there's snow on the ground. You know, this rain doesn't make sense. And, and I, they had this metal door and I opened the metal door. And all I see is tracer rounds right outside the door. And then instantly I'm awake. You know, I was like, I was in this kind of like one eye open kind of, and then boom, like awake, you know, the, the body just discharges that adrenaline and it's like, okay, it's go time. And uh, I spun around and flicked on the light of our room. We had about 16 guys in this one room that we all slept in. And I was like, direct contact, let's go. And that meant, you know, this isn't, this isn't indirect. This is guys shooting. And um, so this is all the information I have at this point of what's going on. I don't know how many there are or where they are. I don't know if they're inside the base or outside the base. You know, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. And, uh, you know, I put my feet in my boots, pull the laces, shove the laces in the side, throw, uh, I don't know if I, yeah, I think I put a sweater on because I knew it was cold. So I threw this jacket, zipped it up, threw my body armor on, put my night vision on. And I went out the door and, and I slept right in front of the door. So I was the first guy out the door. And so I come out of the door and I'm trying to hug this building as much as I can. Cause I mean, the 
tracers are just coming down and and there's thousands of them i mean it, it's it looked like raining raining bullets you know and then they could see the rocks splattering and um so i'm trying to get an assessment of what's going on see what you know what's going on in our base and um i could hear this ak firing and and there's an actual different sound between the the m4 and the ak and, and it's kind of a distinguishable sound and so it was right around the corner of the building and so it was like okay this is where they are they're right there you know and they're they're making their attack and this is my mind so i'm kind of making my way down and and i and i i had a monocular night vision some guys have the, the two mine was just one and i did that on purpose so that i could see down because i tripped a lot and i was never really good at you know looking down at the ground as i walked i fell so many times um all the time and by the way you know if, if hollywood movies that's what they miss like i'd like to see one you know a firefighter in hollywood where somebody trips and hits the ground and everybody laughs at him and then he gets up and keeps going again because that's like all the time anyway so i i see some movement and i look over and 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 um and it was kind of interesting because he did the same thing i did and I and I I had a uh, I had a pressure switch, for my infrared laser, and I hit it and I put it on him and I looked down and I have a laser on me too, and it was like that was the the way we recognized like oh that's a good guy like we were, we were trained on each other you know with our weapons like oh okay we're on the same side and like thumbs up like thanks for not shooting me buddy you know <laughs> keep going and uh, and as I approached the corner um, it was one of those like okay this is it like the the invading horde is around the corner of this building and 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 i'm about to face them and i could hear my guys pouring out of the building and i was like okay so i got the first few shots and then everybody's going to be behind me and and we're going to see what we find out when i get around this corner and uh took a quick breath and, you know just a, and then went and i'm coming around the corner i'm flipping the selector from safe to semi my fingers falling on the trigger pressure switch goes on i'm center mass on this target I've, I've identified the ak fire and it just stopped it was an afghan soldier that was on our base who was not in his designated position with his eyes closed his weapon over his head and he's just like firing his thing like mindlessly over this wall like dude you've no idea how close we got to getting shot you're like you're doing everything wrong you know and uh so we get back up uh, and and what's interesting and and i think the post you're talking about was talking about you know delegation and, and and delegating authority to make decisions and and um you know everybody that night at this point in the fight is experiencing the same thing that i am we have no information no idea what's going on um and we just got to make decisions about what we're going to do and as a leader you got to have you know, our commander had to give us that authority to make that call. He couldn't be out there and telling everybody what to do. And within within minutes, what was interesting is everybody, we manned our walls. We got our machine guns up and going. Um, we got vehicles that had heavy machine guns going. The mortar team got out there and they started firing their mortars. Um, and, and it was just kind of this... Um, chaos you know it's what started as chaos brood organization you know and 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 then we started to figure out okay i'm i've got this section you've got that section does anybody have this over here and we're doing this kind of like cross coordination 
you know, talking to each other, figuring out what's going on with the other guys and developing this picture of the battlefield, um, just on it, on our own, you know, like that, like this is just kind of how things went. And at the same time, the commander's in there and he's pulling an asset, getting aircraft coming, you know, additional assets and force multipliers. And, and it was through that kind of lack of, of, uh, control that made our fight so powerful and, and within, you know, less than an hour after that fight had started. And, and, and so we were a base about a hundred guys and they brought over 300 men. I mean, the, 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 when I finally got on the wall and I could see what was going on, it was hundreds of tracer fire or, or of uh, muzzle flashes all along this, this mountain that, so we were like up against the mountain and it was just all you could see that it was just everywhere. All these little flashes all over the place. And, and that was kind of like, wow, that's a lot of dudes, you know, like that doesn't typically happen in combat in the 21st century, you know, 300 versus 100, you know, shooting at each other. Like that is, I, I don't know anybody else that has had like that kind of massive force on force, you know, battalion size elements fighting each other type thing. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's one of those, like, you don't really train for that either, you know, to just kind of, kind of figure it out. And, uh, but you know, there was, there was 82nd airborne paratroopers and, uh, green berets on that base. You know, those are not the dudes that you want to mess with. So, uh, I, I was very lucky to be surrounded by those guys, uh, that day. And, uh, and yeah, we, we repelled them and did a lot of damage pretty quickly. Um, so, you know, kind of having that um uh decentralized command makes you really effective and 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 that that your subordinate leaders understand that they have the authority to make decisions right you know if 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 i know that i can make a call and and it's a moment and it's a i don't have time to go to the boss but he has built that relationship with me and i know that he's going to back me up and i'm just making the decision that the best i can with the information I have in this moment. And, uh, you know, so if you empower people to do that, then you can react quickly to these ambiguous situations. And even when you're outnumbered three to one by this massive force and you're woken up in the middle of the night and have no idea what's going on, they still can't win because you've, you've delegated the ability. Uh, now the responsibility is still yours as leader. So if that had gone, to crap uh it's still on our commander you know like oh you know what could you have done differently type thing so you still have the responsibility as the leader but you delegate the authority to make the decision um and that's a very very powerful tool yeah interesting now you use the, the term subordinate leaders not subordinates but subordinate leaders. yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and i don't know if you've come across turn the ship around by david marquette who no. He, uh, no, he led he led one of the, the oh, yeah, U.S. Marines. Yeah. yeah, he actually uh, he spoke. Oh, no, turn the ship around. Oh, that's a different one. I know a guy who wrote "It's Your Ship." That's a, oh, okay. Uh, and um, <laughs> Lots but of he ships. talks about the the, lead, the leader leader culture. And it just reminds yeah. me. Yeah. So um, and and each of these little groups were being led right, and and the coordination between them. It's not just these guys going out and like being autonomous and organizing themselves, they're in, it sounds like they're in constant coordination with the other, right. with the other groups, right? Yeah, so you start to, 
you start to kind of figure out what's going on. And, and um, in, the, in the airborne, we call it the LGOPs, the little groups of paratroopers. And um, the little groups of paratroopers... Which sounds, which sounds kind of cute, but I'm guessing they're not that yeah. cute. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it's great stories in World War II, you know, these, these guys that, you know, they, they, got, they got scattered and, and, and they were all over the countryside. And so, you know, Himmler's getting reports of all of these firefights happening everywhere. And he's thinking to himself, you know, the, the size of airborne element to him must have been a lot bigger because of all of the all of the interdiction and combat and everything that was going on everywhere. And it was just these little groups of dudes, you know, and uh, four or five guys are like, all right, let's go, let's do this. I'm like, oh, we're surrounded. Like, yo, we're paratroopers. We're supposed to be surrounded. You know, like, that's, that's the design of this, this, this methodology. Let's go do this, you know? And, uh, and that's just, you know, I understand the mission. I get the intent. I have the authority to make decisions and I'm going to execute. And, uh, and so then they start, you start to get these kind of slow coordination effects. Like, Hey, I've got my group. You got your group. Let's free, let's put them together, you know, and now we've got a bigger one. And then it just kind of like that snake game, you know, you start with just one little guy and every time you pick up a dot, the snake gets bigger, you know, and, and that's kind of how it is, you know, it's just making this bigger and, 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 um, and yeah, so it's a, it's a really neat thing to see when people are given, um, people get creative and, uh, when you let people be creative, um, they will surprise you with how awesome uh, the ideas that they come up with are. Right. And, and I was reflecting on this. I've had spoken to a, a few people now from, the, from with military backgrounds on this show, and it always surprises me the the reality of sort of the military management culture and our stereotype of it. You know, we think about these command and control environments, and yet you're talking about creativity, you're talking about you know, independent yeah. leadership and autonomy. Right. Uh, and as you say, right. you gave one command, right? You know, uh, direct fire, let's go. And then it, it all emerged <laughs> from there, right? Yeah. 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 No, that's true. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and you, you get a lot of that. So there is also a lot of discipline, right? So you get a lot of discipline, you get a lot of training, you get a lot of um, kind of sometimes it's like, man, these tasks are so mundane and repetitive, you know, but what happens is when you when you do those little things right <clears throat> and you focus on them, when you have a big problem, you don't have to focus on the little things because you've done it right, you know, and, and you build like the, the muscle memory and the habit of doing things a certain way that you don't even think about it. You know, I drive my car and I'm not really thinking about it. I can have a conversation or, you know, I it's all these little things and it only comes into play when something weird happens there's a tree in the road or something Then all of a sudden my mind goes, okay, let's focus on the task. Um, but even then I still don't have to think about, you know, clutch gear, you know, I'm not thinking about that. That's happening, you know, and, uh, and, and that's, so you do get the discipline thing, but yeah, the effective leadership, especially, you know, and, and I, I think the stereotype comes out because you see like the basic training thing. Right. And, and that basic training is that way. I mean, it's, it's in your face, kind of, you know, do the push up and, and brah, you know, like that's how, that's how it is. Okay. The point is you get broken down and then you get built back up and then you get taken, like I said, to those levels that you didn't, you know, so you realize, okay, um, I can go far. Right. So that, and that's the point is that you come out of there 
with a sense of confidence and, and discipline and, and, you know, um, service to, you know, selfless service in the army is one of the key, uh, principles and, uh, and, 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 uh, I don't know. It's not motto. What's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, it's a mm. loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service. Anyway, uh, values. Thank you. Yeah. That's the word. <laughs> Great job, man. And, uh, helping me come up with that. <laughs> So one of the key values, selfless service. So, so you're really pushing that that kind of servant attitude, um, and and so you know if you approach leadership the same way, and and you realize you know I, I was in the position just a little while ago that that dude is in, um, and you know the other thing is <clears throat> in the infantry, if I'm gonna ask somebody to, if I say let's go and I go out that door and they don't trust me, um, I'm all by myself. You know, uh, I don't want to be alone. I want all them 30 guys to come out that door behind me. And uh, <clears throat> so if uh, the only way you do that is by building those relationships and building that trust and, and letting them know that, you know, that you care about them, that what they value matters to you as well. Um, that's how when I say let's go, that I, that I feel like that's all I have to say to them. And I don't have to say, hey, grab your gear, put it on. You know, I don't care if you wear pants or not. Don't worry about socks. Make sure you've got something, you know, or, or I'll, if you don't have anything cold to put on that's, or warm to put on, that's okay. I'll send you back in later. Make sure, don't forget your ammunition. Check the battery on your night. Like, no, let's go. You know, like all of that other stuff, that's all just kind of implied with the task, you know? <laughs> Right. And yeah, I think this is a really important point you're making is that we can sort of wish for empowerment and these teams that can just kind of get on with it with minimal direction. But you've got to back it up with the training. These people have got to be skilled. They've got to know what they're doing. They've got to be drilled. Uh, that's a really important point. Well, and I've done it also in the in the civilian world. Um, I worked for Fortune 100 and we had um, I was bringing new products to market. And <clears throat> there was a product that we knew there was a need. We knew there was an opportunity in the marketplace. Our competitors owned that space, um, but we couldn't ever get the return on the investment to work because it was a low, uh, low cost item. <clears throat> and, um, you know, uh, I decided I wanted to take that program on. And everybody kind of told me like, you know, it's not possible. And I, I kind of came up with a plan, but the, the, the thing was, uh, when I sat down with the team, it was, uh, I need, we're going to do this. How can we do this? What are your great ideas? What are some of the ways? And <clears throat> I never, it was just, okay, you want to do this? Uh, we sat down, basically what we did is we took a machine and, and uh, um, we tore it apart and, and decided, you know, what do we really need? What's cosmetic? You know, if it was cosmetic, it was gone. It was just, you know, we were ripping parts off of this machine. And, you know, the engineer I was working with, he was kind of like, you know, I've never done anything like this before. I was like, well, you know this machine, you know this product. I, I'm not going to come down here and tell you how this needs to be or look or whatever. You know it better than I do. So, you know, let's do this. And, and just giving him the freedom to make those decisions and make the calls and, and uh, have the marketing guy come in there and be the, like, the customer voice. And, you know, so we made it happen. Not only did we make it happen, but it had one of the highest returns uh, for the entire factory for that year of all of the products that we came out and the CEO of the company came out to talk to us, say, you know, like this was an amazing thing that you guys did. And it was, 
it was all done based on you know giving people freedom and 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 changing the way we looked at a problem uh and and you know delegating and authority and not not micromanaging it and just you know let's go like we're gonna do this let's go how are we gonna do this you know uh so it can be done and it can be effective right and is that in essence is that what what you're describing there is that servant leadership is now is that now what you you take out to your to your clients or? yeah yeah so you have to um it's uh i joke that it's a, it's like the mr miyagi the wax on wax off right so daniel is doing this thing and he's like this is a waste of time and then and then he realizes oh shoot i can block right yeah so not really an effective block by the way if you're if we're talking like hand-to-hand the karate kid is not the way to go but it's a great uh, way to show you know when you build habits and, and how they can be effective um so the servant leader is going to be somebody who realizes the position that they're in as the leader is not one of self-aggrandizement it's one of of servant servitude to the people the only reason your your leadership position exists is to make the job of the person who's adding value to be able to do their job. So if you're in manufacturing, you're taking bare steel and then um, somebody adds value to that and creates a part and then somebody else adds more value and puts it on a machine, right? Okay, you could do without a leader. You can't do without the welder and the machinist and you know the brake operator, the laser operator, the assembler, the painter. Like you, you can't create the product without those people. You can create it without the leader. You'd be less effective, but you can do it, right? So if you approach that the position that way, like okay, so as a leader, my job is to make sure that I take away all the obstacles possible for those people to do their job, and and your you your mindset is such, then all the side conversations that you're going to have, you're always approaching them in, in that way. So um, and and we build kind of the habit. Some people aren't very comfortable having these conversations, so I teach you to to say thank you it's not just thank you it's you know richard you you reached out to me after our email we talked a little bit and and you took the time you went out of your way for the schedule that works best for me and and i appreciate that now you're helping me get a message out that i think is valuable and that means a lot to me now that's true you know but it's also that's how we thank people right it's not it's not just a walk by like thank you i've seen it before that you know thank you and i was working with a guy and he's like Oh, he must have just gone through one of those emotional intelligence classes. Now he's walking around saying thank you to everybody. <laughs> everybody knows it's crap. It's it's disingenuous, you know. Like, well, let's be honest about you know what how something makes us feel. Um, praising people, uh, serving people. You know, you've got a parking spot, and somebody uh, maybe somebody's been injured recently, and they're walking around in crutches. You know, and you're the leader with a parking spot. Give them your parking spot so they are off crutches. You know, that goes. Now, after you do something like that, this is just an example. You do something like that and go fast forward six months and you ask that guy to go out of his way for you. Of course, he's going to do it, right? Because he knows you go out of your way for him, right? Um, and so that kind of stuff, when, you, when you're doing this regularly, then you can ask your teams to do more extreme things. Like the, the team I was talking about um, with, the, with the project. You know, when I came up to them and said, hey, we're going to do this project in six months and, and we're not going to test this equipment. You know, that never been done before with this company. Like everybody just kind of like, what? You know, like we can't do that. Like, yes, we can. And we're going to. And then finally it was like, OK, let's do it. Let's try it. Right. 
right? But it was only possible because the relationships had been built. You know, so if you don't do that, you can't ask people. You know, you, I'm sure somebody, you or somebody listening to this has worked for a terrible boss. Mm. Somebody just makes you miserable. You don't go out of your way. You do just enough to keep them off your back and no more than that. And you're watching that clock and the moment your time is up, you're out of there, right? So it's just enough, you know, the bare minimum. That's what you're going to get out of people when you're that kind of like in their face all the time. And, hey, uh, what are you stopping for? Uh, you know, you could sleep when you're dead. Uh, you know, nobody wants to work for that guy. So nobody's going to give you that extra, that creativity, you know, whatever. But if you have a person who's going to go out of their way for you, um, who genuinely cares, who, who has these regular one-on-ones, who, you know, remembers things about you and your family and asks you how, you know, what's important to you and what do you do when you're outside of work? And, and, and so you feel that kind of connection, like this person actually cares. And that person comes to you and says, hey, I want to do this crazy thing. Will you join me in doing this crazy thing? And be like, yeah. Let's do this crazy thing. I want to do something no one's ever done before. Yeah, let's do it, you know? And then you get, like, this massive creativity. These massive things are, like, projects that have been sitting on the shelf for three years that no one's ever been able to get. And the team is, like, totally demoralized. And then all of a sudden, I show up, and 18 months later, the product is in customer hands, you know, after it's sat on the shelf for three months. And the team is like, dude, I want to work with your team. I want to be on your team. Hey, you got any more room to be on the team? You know, like let's do this, let's do this crazy thing, we're making difference, we're doing things, you get there by that building those relationships. And and this is coming from a dude, you know, I know people are like, oh, I, I'm not into that, like, soft, uh, you know, hand-holding, uh, I'm too quick for that, right? Like, bro, um, I led a bunch of dudes, and I'm pretty sure you wouldn't call any of them soft, okay? And, and <laughs> this is how we did it, right? Uh, it was by building those relationships and, you know, and, uh, and yeah, we hugged each other and cried sometimes, okay? You know? Uh, but, uh, you know, those were pretty bad dudes. So uh, it worked. It worked. And, and it, it, I just wish more people would do it. I, I, I don't know. So that's that's what I'm on a mission to do and to train more people how to do that and, and really get the, you know, change the culture of, of leadership just overall. Um, and, you know, the 21st century and technology, I can be in many places at one time and create this online program that, you know, can train a thousand, five thousand, fifteen thousand people all on the same day, you know, without getting in the way of your work. Right. And that comes up on your blog as well, this the 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 problem with leadership training. So yeah, tell us about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's this, you know, you go to a three day okay. Uh you're really getting me going here, man. So um Say you want to be a cage fighter. You want to fight Conor McGregor, okay? And I say, great, man. Um, you want to be a cage fighter? Um, here's what Conor does. Uh, I'm going to take you and I'm going to put you in a, in a three-day training plan. I'm going to give you some power presentations on, on what fighting looks like, the different positions. And then we're going to do some soft rolling, you know, kind of – we won't really hit each other hard. We're just kind of show you what the punches look like. And, uh, and then at the end of that, you're going to go get in a cage with Conor McGregor. Would you do that? Of course not. Like, I'm going to get murdered, dude. What are you talking about? That's not how you train to fight, right? Like, you got to get out there and you got to train. It's years and years and years and it's practice and it's habits and, you know, to get to that level. But to even get out there and fight and, and, and even at the, you know, just kind of like the uh, sport level, 
right? It's, uh, you, you got to have those habits. You got to train for a long time. You got to build that kind of stuff. So you understand, oh, I can feel his body shifting and, and I can tell he's going to try and get this choke and, oh, there's an opportunity to get that arm bar, you know, all of these things. Um, you get that from the, the, the repetition and the feeling and, and you look at people that train jujitsu, right? There's a difference between a white belt and a blue belt and a purple and a brown and a black, right? It, there's a difference there. And, and every one of them knows the same move. Well, maybe not the white belt. But after that, everybody knows the same moves. Like, they all know the moves. But there's a difference in the nuance and in the levels and, and how you do that. So a three-day training exercise or a five-day training exercise where I just give you a bunch of workbooks and information and all of this stuff, and you've been gone for a week, and then you get back to the office, and you got 400 emails in your inbox, and all these fires you got to fill, and, and you're taking care of all this stuff, and you're pulling out your hair, you can't figure it out, and, and it takes you a week and a half to get caught up. Now you don't remember anything you learned in the class anyway, and the only way you deal with these ambiguous situations is going back to your old habits in the first place. So you're as a company, you're spending $2,500, $3,000 to put somebody through training that doesn't give you any results whatsoever, right? So my my program what i what i decided was you know we need to do something that's going to go over a long period of time i'm going to give you a little bit of information and we're going to just build on it and i'll give you one task and i'll say hey today go work on this thing or today go thank somebody and i'll tell you how to do it or go praise somebody go serve somebody today contact somebody that that cares about you that you care about you know these kinds of little things um and and we we build on that so that at the end of four months You've been doing this for a long time and it starts, you know, we've, we've not only built the habit, but we've kind of solidified it too. We've gone a little bit further and, you know, we've given you some challenges and you're still doing your job every day. And then you're out there in the actual thing. This is a full speed roll with somebody, right? So I show you how to do the arm bar. Now go do it on each other. And then you're going and you're doing it on it. And so, um, so that's, that's the intent to have you know, an effective plan actually delivers the results because, you know, that, that's what you're looking for. It's the only reason you're sending people to the training in the first place. Right. And so and it's this daily practice, which, of course, we know is, is really how you shift. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. Um, the other thing that piqued my interest, and I've definitely had this with clients, and it's a, de it's a major issue, right? This, uh, this, the toxic employee. We talk about that. Um, yeah. How do, we, how do we handle them? Um, <clears throat> so... Uh, yeah, how do you handle them? Um, you know, I, I'm not sure that I've been very effective in my technique. So <clears throat> um, remember how I said I got in trouble in ranger school all the time? So I, I am the, I will confront the, the toxic person. Um, and, and that's not always the best methodology. I don't know. Um, I, I guess my thing is that I have told a toxic boss or two in the past. Um, I had one ask me outright, you know, how do you think I'm doing as a boss? And, and I stopped and I said, you shouldn't ask me a question that you're not prepared for, to have an answer. And, and this person kind of sat back and said, no, I want an honest answer. It's like, are you sure? You know, and, and, uh, and yeah, so I laid it out and, and it was hard to, you know, I was nervous too. Laying it out there. Um, but no, so <clears throat> the way I, I, I think it's important for, you know, I'm talking now managers of managers, right? This is your responsibility is to have these regular one-on-one -on -one conversations with the people one level and two levels below you so that 
you can identify these toxic people and you got to root them out because I talked earlier about how people are only doing the bare minimum, right? So creativity is, is gone. Pro, you know, these people, they cause, they cause higher rates of injury. Um, uh, there's lower productivity. There's lower quality. Um, your turnover rates. See, this is another one that'll let you know whether or not you have a toxic environment is you can look at what is the turnover rate. If you have a lot of people leaving a certain group, you got a toxic lead. Like, get rid of that person. They turnover costs a ton of money. You know, if you're you're hiring people that make a hundred thousand dollars or more, it'll cost you two hundred thousand dollars to replace that person. You know, and if you've got a leader who's managing a team of folks that are like that, if, and and you've had to replace ten of them, you know, you just spent two million dollars on this individual. You wasted it. Two million dollars. Like, what could what else could you have done with that money? That you just wasted on this individual and we're we're hesitant to pull the trigger like get him out you maybe don't need to fire him because you can't fire him but put him somewhere else and let them know they're on a they're on a plan to fix themselves because they're toxic because they're destroying your organization i i mean the bad leadership costs our economy billions of dollars a year and it's just it's sad you know and and sometimes I don't know about you, but I've wondered, like, how does that person get into that position? And, and how are they still in it? And I think it's, I, I think in the article you mentioned, I talk about how toxic people tend to be good individual performers. Right, you say that. Yeah, so. Uh, and very good at facing upwards, of pleasing their bosses. I think that's, that's how they it. say that. They're great individual contributors, and they're great at showing uh, a great performance, or demonstrating great performance to the people above them. Exactly, exactly. So that's why you have to do those conversations, those one-on-ones, and you have to do them two levels down, you know. And, and, and I, I gave some questions in that blog about, you know, how to, how to test if somebody's toxic, you know. Give them praise, see if they give anybody else praise. Um, <clears throat> ask them to talk about people that are um, at their same level. You know, is it, is it all negative feedback that they want, you know, like, are they always giving negative feedback about people or do they give positive feedback? And say, you know, oh, that person's really good at this. I don't know if that's the right role for him. I think he'd do much better here. You know, that's different than, oh, yeah, he sucks. You know, that's that's why when I was in that position, you know, like, okay, I got a toxic person. That's that's all I need to know. You know, I can ask a few of those questions. Tell me about the people that work alongside you. You know, I'll give you some praise and see how you take it. Do you just like, yeah, I'm really good. Thanks. You know, or, or do you say, hey, I was part of a team effort, but I appreciate the, the acknowledgement, you know, like, okay, so he's, he's sharing some of that. So um, you got to, you got to, yeah, I don't remember any of the other ones, just kind of the first two that kind of pop in my head, but um, doing those, got to have those one-on-one conversations, got to sit down with people 30 minutes, give them you know, once a month and, and have those conversations and you'll find that, you'll find it pretty quick and, and you're going to save yourself in it almost sounds to me like these are these are hygiene factors for somebody, as you say, who's manager of managers. You know, they're, they're checking in on the yeah. ecosystem, so to speak, and and getting yeah. a sense of what's going on beyond their immediate purview, where people might be telling telling them what they want to hear, right, or or, or showing. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and 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 that's a danger. You know, the higher the higher you get, the less um, pushback you will get on your ideas. And, and so you have to, you have to encourage it. And it's hard to do, it's hard to want to do that. It's hard to want to like encourage somebody to give you, um, you know, to, to push back. 
but uh, if you surround yourself with yes men, they're going to let you make bad decisions and make mistakes. And then you're going to look stupid. Right. So uh, that was one of the things I always bring my my um, my subordinate leaders in, you know, so my actually. So if I'm in a manager of manager roles. Right. So I bring my managers in and like, hey, look, you guys, you're going to help me keep from doing something stupid. So when I say something stupid in this room, stop me and tell me that's stupid. And then we'll figure it out from there, you know. And sometimes I'll come up with an idea. <clears throat> and everyone's like, yeah, boss, that sounds good. And like, I don't want to hear that. I, I know it sounds good. I think it sounds, that's why I said it. Cause I think it's good. Like, I don't need you to tell me it's good. I need you to tell me how is this going to go wrong? So that's why I'm talking to you about it. Otherwise I just do it. So I'm here to tell, to hear from you. How is this going to go wrong so that we can either prepare or not do this? So let's talk about that, you know? And uh, so that'll keep you from making a lot of, a lot of dumb decisions uh, in that too. Uh, so yes, yeah, so having those conversations and, and encouraging that uh, that pushback from people too. Right. And if anybody's listening who isn't a manager of managers but but has a toxic boss, do you have any adv- advice for them when they're in that situation? <laughs> well, it depends on how toxic that person is, right? Um, and what kind of relationship they have with the, the senior leader, you know. So um, honestly, I don't I don't think that as a subordinate with somebody who's actually toxic, who's like fundamentally so that, that they don't care about you. There's very little that you can do that you can do as a subordinate to train them out of that um, because they don't value your opinion. Um, and so, you know, they're as, as coordination, you know, when, when you tell them, uh, so there's, <clears throat> there's some techniques where you can um, kind of like in the matrix, you know, avoid the bullets, um and that's just where uh i had one where i just convinced them that all of my ideas were his ideas so that's how i would get my stuff taken care of and I'd say hey boss do you remember when you said such and such is this kind of what you were talking about um because that seemed like a really great idea so i ran with it and i came up with it like oh yeah, yeah yeah that's exactly what i meant like all right cool thanks you know and and you know so it was a little manipulative but i understood like that's how that's just how i survived with it individual um and and avoiding that conflict so the conflict isn't going to get you anywhere and so if it's something that you just can't pass anymore you know there's there's human resources there's their boss who they will listen to unless that person's toxic too and um there's also a resume that you can dust off go somewhere else and uh, you know avoid that again in the future so uh i have done all of those uh well, I, I've never gone to the, the human resources thing. Uh, I have done the avoidance, uh, avoidance of conflict by by some manipulation. I'm, you know, it's hard for me to say, but that's really what I was doing. I was manipulating the, the, their their personality and the circumstances. Uh, I've gone to the two levels up. I've done that as well. Um, I've done the confrontation thing, and it didn't go well for me. Um, so I, I won't recommend it. Um, you know, eventually I got moved uh, because um, I almost got into a fist fight with a, a fellow officer in the military who outranked. Um, yeah, and uh, <laughs> one of those we were opposite sides of the desk, and you stand on the other side of that desk before both of us get in a lot of trouble. And uh, and really, it was me that was getting in a lot of trouble. That was kind of a stupid move, but hey, I was a young kid. But uh, you know, so I don't recommend that course of action. You know. It's, it's a tough situation. It is. It's really hard, and it's hard to 
you know, the nuance of each of these relationships is really what makes, you know, it's hard to say, hey, if you do this every time it'll work because, you know, it may not, it may not always work. And, and sometimes you do just have to leave. That kind of sucks route and, and and go somewhere else and uh, but that may just be your only option based on you know the environment that you're in and i don't know it's hard, it's hard to give a one size kind of answer to that i've tried a lot of techniques to varying degrees of success <laughs> yeah no, I, I, yeah but there may be some pointers in there for people listening you're in that you're in that position sure. um yeah no so that, that that that's useful okay um well, uh, you know, we we, we can go for an hour now, and uh, I've really appreciated the, the the conversation. There's been tons of insight yeah, here. Yeah. Um, and so, for people who want to learn more, so there's the, the, you're offering an on, online program. Is that live now for people? Uh, yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's for businesses in particular. You know, um, so if you're an individual that wants to get better, um, you know, we could just chat, right? Um, uh, and and I'll I'll talk to you and, and you can ask questions and, and we'll do that. Um, it's not really a program for individual people. It's kind of made designed for a, a, a larger organization. If you've got a thousand employees or so, and um, and you wanna <clears throat> you wanna fundamentally change your your leadership culture, or maybe not fundamentally, but um, improve your leadership culture uh, and and improve your your training that you already have established, then. Uh, then you're kind of the client that I'm that I'm looking for. Uh, right. If you're smaller than that, or you're just an individual that wants to get better, um, then let's just chat. You know, so let's talk. I, I'm not, you know, individual people that want to do better. To me, it just kind of feels weird selling them a course. Like, let's just talk, man. And and, and it, you know, let's let's go through your issue. And 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 you know, part of the design of my course is is having that mentorship of the individuals, right? So not. One size isn't going to fit everybody. I can't just give you one tip and say this is going to be successful every time. You know, it's it's not like, uh, you know, welding, right? It, I can show you how to weld, and that's how you do this type of weld, right? So people are very complicated creatures, and, and there's a lot of nuance, and there's a lot of amb ambiguity. So, you know, but my thing is establishing kind of mindset principles, sort of governing left and right limits that you can operate inside of. Um, so those are good for an organization. And then when you have that mentorship inside the organization, that's where you're, you're pushing it forward. Right? For individuals, just, just hit me up. And let's right. And that's Louis, Louis com. Um, yes. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you wanted me to jump in there or not. <laughs> uh, yeah. So and we'll, put, we'll put the link in the description. Yeah, I'm also very active on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. So if you want to engage with me there um that's a really great spot to find me right now so I, i'm pretty I'm, I'm on there every day pretty much fantastic okay well thank you very much for my, my first interview from a car <laughs> and it turned out just fine the mobile sound booth <laughs> yeah exactly the perfect studio right. all right yeah. well enjoy the rest of your uh, your morning this there's a lot left of it so uh, there great. is yeah. Yeah. Okay. Have a great have a great day. All right, you too, man. Take care. Thanks, Lewis. Thank you. Bye. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human focused coaching and leadership programs, 
head to firsthuman.com.